Welcome to episode 164 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your hosts, Jules and Stace. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when the entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. Vicki Matsis is both a hustler and one who constantly strives to be in touch with the stillness of life. She sees a need and wants to meet that need as organically as possible. As a result, her career path has been both varied and profoundly meaningful. Vicki is the president and co-founder of Media Reform South Carolina, the nonprofit organization that brought commercial-free OM Radio 96.3 FM to Charleston's Airways in 2015. Ohm Radio is Charleston's only listener-supported community radio station that focuses on local music and public affairs programming. She is also the founder and organizer of the American Hostel Conference and the manager of the Not-So-Hostel in Charleston, South Carolina. She is the author of Inside an American Hostel, a guidebook for managers and aspiring owners, and is a former freelance writer with over 150 publications. Vicki has been a property manager and realtor in Charleston since 2012 and was a featured realtor on the TV series Tiny House Hunters. She's a singer-songwriter who has released two EPs, From Dust to Dawn and Good Life. And in 2016, Vicki was voted one of Charleston's 50 Most Progressive. What a privilege to be gifted with a conversation with this wise soul. We hope you enjoy our conversation. It is a good day here in Charleston, South Carolina. Gosh, it's sunny out or maybe a little overcast, but just a beautiful day here. The weather's warm and it makes me just want to go outside. But my priority right now is this call, getting to know this beautiful person that's on the other end of the Zoom call with us. So let me back up. So I'm Jules, your host of GSD Entrepreneur, and I'm sitting here with the lovely Stace. She's my co-host and we've been doing this Gosh, for almost two and a half years, yeah, I think. Yeah, we're hitting on the, um, on the other side, sliding into three years. Yeah, and I want to say maybe we missed one week of a podcast yeah. going live. So out of two and a half years or so, we've done 100 and, gosh, I want to say 163 episodes. And so this is 164 or five or something like that. And it has been amazing, don't you think? Oh, yeah, we have met. So many people, and we continue to meet people like this. Our guest today, we're like, we're reading some things about her because we've, we've become like, we're starting to get to know people that are on our podcast alongside with our guests, which is really fun. So it's, it's really organic. So we don't want to go in knowing too much about them, but we were doing a little bit of snooping around and we're like, how do, how do we not know this person? <laughs> She's kind of a badass in Charleston. <laughs> Um, and so not that we think we know all the badasses in Charleston, that's for sure. But, but when we see somebody like, um, like this guest, we're like, wow. Wow. Yeah. So I think this is um, very serendipitous that we have met. And the person we met her through is Lisa Abernathy, who is the owner of Blue Heron uh, Acupuncture and a very, very dear friend of ours. Probably one of the kindest souls that we know. Ever. Ever. I mean, she is just as genuine as they come. Um, but like sassy too, which I love about her. Like she definitely has a, 
a sassy side that's super attractive and um, so yeah, I just, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny and I know this isn't about Lisa, but I've known Lisa for years and years and years because her husband and my brother are best friends and looking at Lisa, you would think she's a vegetarian and I've always <laughs> thought she was vegetarian and she has to remind me every time she sees me, she goes, no, I'm a carnivore. I love meat, <laughs> <laughs> but she's so healthy and just so, she's, and yeah, she's so. amazing. So Lisa, I'm assuming you're, you're going to listen to this and if you are thank you so much for just the, all the acupuncture work that you do and the healing that you do in the Charleston and beyond mm-hmm. community and for this introduction to the lovely without further ado yes. Vicki Matsis. So Vicki thank you so much for being on the show with us. We can't wait to get to know you right alongside our guests. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. You got it. So this is how we start out every show or every episode. We just ask you to take us back. So take us back to where you grew up and all of that, and then sort of jump us through the stepping stones of your life of how you got from where you grew up to where you are now. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds great. All right. Well, I uh, was born in Norwalk, Connecticut. My family is a first-generation, we're first-generation immigrants here to the United States. My father came over from Greece when he was 13, and my grandmother on the other side came over when she was 19. So we were born in the United States. I want to come to your family meals. Just your dinners. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, my family is very lively and loud and wonderful and warm and Um, We traveled around a lot when I was growing up, so ended up moving from Connecticut to Michigan and then to Ohio, and then my parents split, so then I lived in Florida and New Jersey and New York and California, so I had a lot of experiences adjusting, and a little bit what we were talking about earlier, just being able to adapt and to new circumstances, new places, new people. And then I uh, chose the College of Charleston. I didn't know a single person here. I didn't uh, have any friends or family here. I just, something pulled me here at the time I was living in Ohio. And I moved here in 2003. Wow. Well, there's a magnet from Ohio to Charleston. I know. I I, I like to say I came before the real people (laughs) from Ohio, but yeah. And and I'm not originally from Ohio. So it's like, yeah. I mean, I still love the place that I lived and, and the experience I had there, but I'm also from all these other places, including from the country of Greece. My family is from, from Greece. I have my citizenship with Greece and the United States, and I speak both languages, English and Greek. So I've, I have all these different um, connections to different places and different cultures. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So what was the cause for all the different moves? That, I mean, just new jobs or just wanting a change? No, my, my father is a Greek Orthodox priest. And so you got transferred. There's a lot of, um, you know, you go where you're assigned kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Is that what brought his family over? I mean, what brought them over from Greece, your family? No, just the opportunity came. My family, uh, that side of my family was very poor and they just had the opportunity to come. So my father and his sister came by themselves um, when they were 13 and maybe 16, you know, the two week trip from Greece to Ellis Island. And my grandfather was here already working. And then a few years later, my aunt and uncle came and then my grandmother, who I'm named after. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. What a cool story. So how do you think 
all of that has shaped who you are now? I know that's a really big question, but your story is unique. I mean, compared to like the majority of people that we talk Mm -hmm. to, right? I guess, you know, that my parents lived, um, they had to work for everything that they got. You know, I don't come from a family of wealth or inheritance. And so, you know, when I went to college, I had to, I had to earn my way through college. I had to work through college. And at the time I remember thinking, you know, having friends that had everything paid for, for them, that Mm -hmm. they didn't have to pay for their rent or their tuition. And they just seemed carefree. You know, they just seemed to be, um, I don't know, so much lighter in a way, but, and I remember being like, man, that'd be really great if that could be my experience. But having reflected on it now, I see that that experience served me so well in my life. I just, you know, you can't choose which experience you're born into. And so I saw that, you know, I just had, I took out, I had Pell Grants. I went to College of Charleston on Pell Grants um, and uh, scholarships and I worked all through college. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's where part of that hustler, um, that's not even a great word, but that like, that drive came from that I've always had several things going, several opportunities, several jobs. Um, so part of that just came from uh, the College of Charleston. And it would have been much easier for me to go to college in Ohio, much cheaper. Mm-hmm. But it was one of those risks I took that I, I felt called to be here and pulled here. And uh, I followed it. I wanted to be near the ocean and I love the school. I'm not much of a sports fan. So I love that they didn't have a football team, <laughs> and, um, you know? Uh, yeah. So I just, and, and during my time too, at the college of Charleston, I, I came ahead, I came in with a lot of credits. So I was able to take a year off and I went to the new college of California for a year to study organic agriculture hmm. and got certified in permaculture with the permaculture Institute of Northern California to really kind of follow my interest in sustainability, in growing food, in in living a different type of life than the one that I was raised in, than than what is dominant in our culture. Mm -hmm. And then I came back and I still graduated on time. And then I started working full-time my last semester of college, the opportunity to become the manager of the Not So Hostel opened up. So I interviewed for it and it was a great experience, a great challenge. I had been hosteling for several years all through Europe on my trips back and forth. And so it just was a really great fit and, and a good opportunity to take a business that was, um, that was struggling and to turn it around. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I fired everybody. I threw everything away. I started uh, from the beginning to create the place that I wanted to host people in and slowly we started to get some traction with local publications um, about, about the hostel here, all the visitors we were hosting. I host anywhere from 10,000 to 12,000 people a year here at the hostel. Are you serious? Yeah. How many rooms? <laughs> yeah. How many rooms it's about 50, 50 people a night. We had, well, this is pre obviously coronavirus. Um, we had 24 dorm beds and 14 private rooms. And uh, spread out across um, three different historic houses downtown. All, all like in a row? Or are they different? We've got, got one at uh, Spring Street, like the main location that has four units. And then the other one is on Cannon Street at the annex. Hmm. Yeah, so it was a great opportunity. And then from there, I always think like press and media, it's like a snowball 
effect. So then the New York Times picked up a story and wrote about the hostel on the front page of their travel section. And then from there it was USA Today and Time Out New York. And it kind of went from there. And still that we're the only hostel in the state of South Carolina. It's a totally different model, a different way for people to travel, um, sharing space, Mm -hmm. sharing, being in communities, co-sharing bathrooms and kitchens and, and, and providing organic spaces for people, for travelers to meet, Hmm. which is really, I think the important part of a hostel, like in a hotel, it might be very strange if you knocked on the person's door next to you and said, Hey, do you want to go, I don't know, to the beach? Whereas here, it happens all the time. Everyone comes together from different parts of the world, different languages, different cultures to uh, connect. And then they all go out and explore the city together. So mm-hmm. it's just it, providing those organic spaces, which are by design, not in our culture. Like I always use the example in Barcelona, how the piazzas are faced inwards towards each other. It's uh, a strong sense of community there. Everyone can see each other. And it's all connected. Whereas here, our our cities are much more spread out, more suburban. You need to have a car to have them. It's just one of the big differences, I feel like, between our design, the design of American cities and the design of European cities and the consequences that they have on our society and our culture. Hmm. So you became the manager of the hostel, not so hostel, um, mm-hmm. the not so hostile hostel. Yeah. And, and, and um, when your senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And but you had gone and traveled, so you knew about the ho- the hostel life. You knew about that. You knew what you wanted, what things you didn't like, and the things you did like, and you were able to to make it. And so, who owned that at the time? Um, I mean, it was obviously a non nonprofit, right? It's not a nonprofit, no. Mm-hmm. And I'm a profit share partner in the business. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so they let you just take the reins and say, "Fix it." Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a senior in college. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Well, obviously it worked yeah. and you, you know, obviously you have vision for that kind of thing. Um, so, okay. So you're involved in that, but you're involved in a number of other things too. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about those, talk about those a little bit. I know you do speaking, you do real estate investing, a bunch of different things. Mm-hmm. Well, I got my property management license because that's essentially what I was doing here as, as a business manager and a property manager for these historic houses downtown. And then I also got my real estate license. All all during that time? Mm -hmm, All during that time. And um, as a few years went by, as I gained more experience at the hostel, people were reaching out to me about consulting or had a lot of the same questions about how to start a business, how to start specifically a hostel. So I wrote a book called Inside an American Hostel. Mm -hmm. And that has been... Uh, since I think 2012, I wrote that book. And then as a result of that, the hostel industry is um, very connected in the United States. And so I started the American Hostel Conference and I've been doing that for three years. And so we bring people together from all over the world here in Charleston once a year in, in January or February. And they all connect and meet and we go over, we have presentations from different people, different industry leaders. Um, yeah, to so that how many more- how many people does that draw? Uh, anywhere from like sixty to eighty. Yeah, that's just yeah. here in the U.S. U.S. hostel owners. Yeah, we had some people from Europe and from Mexico come as well. Now, hmm. Jules, you've traveled around the world, mm-hmm. and I've done some traveling um, 
around the world. I've never stayed in a hostel until we went to Park City and we had a conference and we they we rented out the hostel for everybody at the conference. Um, that's the only time I'd ever stayed in it. But have you stayed in the conference? I mean, oh, hostels? yeah, I've stayed in a bunch. I've yeah. stayed in Dublin and London and, um, yeah, a bunch of different places. It is such an awesome way to travel. It's yeah. such an awesome way to meet people. Um, and you meet the most unique people because yeah. they're, it's people who are willing to take a risk and leave something and oftentimes travel by themselves or in a small group. And mm. um, it's just like what Vicki's saying, where you sit with somebody over breakfast, over like toast and jam. Um, yeah. So it's a simple breakfast, but you sit with them and then it's true. It's like, well, I don't know this city. Well, I don't either. Let's go explore it together. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you meet these friends that you never would have met had you not stayed at the hostel. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, cool is it more from the, the younger generations or do older people like us? In our- Absolutely. We're, we're not a youth hostel and that's on purpose. Um, we okay. have, well, yeah, we have, um, very young people to, you know, people who are retired and traveling through the country. We've had a, in the post and courier article, there was like a 90 year old woman that was traveling the world and, um, and then they did a feature on her and she stayed here at the hostel. So we have all ranges of people, but like, what happens at those breakfast tables, those conversations, those connections, it's like a, a girl from Australia was here and she thought she assumed that we had compulsory voting here in the United States because they do in Australia and, you know, she was shocked to find out that, you know, more people vote in American Idol some years than they do in our elections because they have uh, 99%, you know, participation in their country. And she just assumed that other people all over the world had the same, had the same structure. So learning things like that. And also during campaign season, it might be different this year, but last year having, you know, the Bernie Sanders guy sit next to the Trump guy and we're all, they're sharing a room and we're mm-hmm. sharing, you know, space and breakfast. And everyone just realizes that despite their differences, everyone is really more alike than they are different. And when you have to live in, in close quarters with somebody, it's much quicker to realize that if you're not hiding behind, you know, your phone or, or texting or, or Facebook mm-hmm. or some kind of post, you know, when face to face, you really just see the humanity in all people and that um, the array of people that come here and connect here. And it's never going to happen again in the same way. You know, mm-hmm. the same people will never be here again. It's just this interesting, amazing flow of, of people that come and go. Yeah. Sorry, I got to step back on that. I'm so interested in now. And no, I yeah. actually actually love it. I actually love talking about this just because I don't think it's uh, some people don't even know what a hostel is, which is which is surprising to me. Um, but it is it is this underground community of if you travel by hostel, you typically like that's your go to. Right. It's usually people are like either they they're really committed to the hostel scene or they don't really know much about it. So it's, it's a, it's a really interesting world of people. And I think what I found is exactly what you were talking about. There's an openness in an open mindedness in a lot of people who travel via hostels um, where while they may, obviously they have their own opinions, but they're more willing to listen to other people's points of view. Cause I think in some ways traveling by hostel, you are searching, you're searching in a different way than you might be, you know, doing something else. So yeah. I don't know that that's all true, but that's just been my perspective. Um, yeah. And I, I just think hostels are really cool. So tell us about 
the hostel, because I love it that you came back to this. Tell us about the hostel, the not so hostel in Charleston. What makes it different? And I know also in the hostel world, there are levels of hostels, right? So one is completely like rugged and then, but then, and I'm not probably not using the right terminology, but then another one is, is actually really, really nice, right? So there's all levels in between. So tell us a little bit about the not so hostel in Charleston and what makes it unique and different. Yeah, it's, it's situated in historic houses in a beautiful residential neighborhood right downtown. There, you know, we have heart pine wood floors and beautifully renovated bathrooms. It's definitely um, a very nice hostel, kind of more like a bed and breakfast. But we also have dorm rooms for people, for backpackers, and then shared communal spaces for people who want to cook their dinners and then breakfast as well. So it is definitely... Um, a nicer hostel and a smaller hostel. It's a mid-sized hostel, which is, you know, 50 people. And there, you know, I just, I really believe that small is beautiful. Like a certain thing gets lost along the way when uh, something gets too big. Mm. And so here, you know, if I work a couple of days and I can know everybody who's here at the hostel where, you know, for some people that run hundred bed, 200 bed hostels, it becomes uh, it's a different, it's just a different experience Mm -hmm. for the owner and for the travelers Um, where, you know, if it was a huge kitchen um, with 30 different seats, then it might be harder to meet somebody. But at our kitchen table, we have two little kitchens and they have six seats each. So you have to sit next to somebody. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so it's kind of, that's all by design as well. Like small is beautiful. This is what it is. You know, we could maybe squeeze more people in here, but we choose not to just so that it does create the, ideal environment for people to interact and really meet each other and to have their perspectives widened a little bit. I mean, travel is one of those things that does what nothing else can do. You can't watch a movie or read a book, although those things are, are helpful, but to really experience a place, you know, you have to go there. You have to see what the people are like, what the houses are like, what the culture is like. And that changes your perspective because your perspective um, all the different things that go into your mind are ultimately what form your opinions, your beliefs, how you vote, what you buy, the kind of life you live. And uh, yeah, travel is one of those ways to open up, open up your mind to different ways of living and being. So what's the typical cost of a hostel or an average cost, even worldwide? I mean, compared to like a hotel, I mean, or, and I know you don't, you don't have the same amenities you do, but you're sharing them. I mean, you still have a bed and you still have a shower. And you, um, so what is the typical cost of a hostel stay? Well, it depends. Like in India or Thailand, they're maybe $10, $12 a night. Whereas here, ours are like $32 for a dorm room, which is still downtown Charleston, the, by far the cheapest um, option. Like for cities that don't have hostels, uh, a lot of travelers just skip those cities because it's not an option for them. If you're traveling for 100 days, it's really hard to spend a hundred dollars for a night somewhere like in, you know, Savannah or some other places where they don't have hostels. Well, travelers will just keep going until they find, hmm. um, but our private rooms start anywhere from like 70 to $90, depending on where they are and what, it, what the season is. Hmm. So fun. Yeah. So how involved are you in the day to day? Like, do you get to meet people that pass through the hostel or are you more on the administrative side of making sure everything runs smoothly? Uh, Both. I did the day-to-day real hard for the first like 10 years. And then, um, you know, reading a lot more stuff like the success principles of Jack Canfield and um, seven habits of highly effective people uh, have 
have an amazing staff. I mean, I think every entrepreneur, every business um, manager, owner knows that you're, you can really do what you can do only because of your staff. And so my staff is really um, what helps make this machine run so well. And so I do both. I do a lot of the backend stuff. And since I had a child three years ago, um, been doing a little bit more of that as well. Hmm. Yeah. So, so we're going to keep moving. Um, we're probably going to come back to the hustle because I'm so like wanting to learn more and maybe I just need to get your book uh, <laughs> and read it. Um, so you so, so during the hustle, you became a property manager and your real estate license, got your real estate license. And then, and so you, you worked in the day-to-day operations running the hustle for 10 years, obviously, I mean, got married. Now you have a family, you started a radio show. Started a radio station. A radio radio station. station. Wow, not even a show, a whole station. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about that. What got you into that? Yeah, so um, all throughout this time, my uh, advisor at the College of Charleston was Dr. Faye Stoyer, um, one of the most amazing women who I highly recommend that you interview her. Um, Yeah, she um, was my professor and my advisor in college, and we really connected. And so we stayed in touch after she retired and I graduated. And um, we started doing, um, we would go to the National Conference for Media Reform conferences while I was in college and then afterwards. So we stayed connected. And that was my major in college. I was a, got my Bachelor of Science in Psychology and I studied mass media and human development. Hmm. And um, so we got really interested and intrigued on how how the media was being run in our country. Um, and so she opened my eyes to what, what is really happening, I think, behind our television screens and behind our newspapers, you know, that the Telecommunications Act of 1996 deregulated our media. So the media that my parents grew up with is not the same media that I grew up with. They're under different laws, different legislation. So it used to be that you could only own a few newspapers, a few television stations, and um, and a few radio stations in any one market. And that was intentional. That was created um, in the 1930s to increase the diversity in our media. And so now we have uh, the media consolidation, the media conglomerates. We have six large corporations that influence everything that we see, that we hear, and that we watch um, over, over 90% of America. I mean, it's, wow. it's astounding. And the different things like, the Truth and Fairness Act is gone, the Equal Time Act, where you have to give candidates equal time. All these things that, as a low-power FM radio station that OM Radio is, we have to um, abide by those rules. So we are held by much higher FCC regulations than, say, the mainstream media. So we go to these conferences and uh, learn about this like historic one-time opportunity to apply for a low-power FM radio station. Because it's one thing to identify the problem and just be, you know, overwhelmed by it. And this for us was our solution for Charleston to have an independent media outlet that wasn't governed by anything or anyone other than by the people. We are completely non-commercial, non-profit radio station. So we, um, we applied for a grant with Prometheus radio and thankfully got it because otherwise we wouldn't be here. We had, um, law students at Georgetown University review our applications for free and help us 
navigate the incredibly complicated application process um, with engineering studies. And, um, and yeah, and then we finally we applied. And then several years later, we got the um, approval that we had been granted a low power radio station. And at this point, we didn't have a nonprofit. We just had uh, six people around Dr. Stoyer's table meeting monthly to discuss lack of rural broadband issues in South Carolina, talk about um, media consolidation, media ownership, what's really happening. We worked with Free Press, which is an amazing nonprofit organization, and we taped, she taped the nightly news, and we saw that they were reading the exact same script on two different channels, and it's called covert consolidation, where it appears as if somebody owns a different radio station or television station, but really um, they're run by the same person, even even using the same anchors and the same scripts. And so we were really engaged in that, going to news stations and um, asking for their public files and and really digging into it. And then this uh, and then we got the opportunity to have this radio station, but we had no money. We just, it was just like, now what do we do? Cause we, you were, you were a nonprofit. You're not supposed to well, we weren't even a nonprofit then. We were just taking it one step at a time, you know, like, okay, wow. if we get this grant and then if we get this engineering study and then if we, you know, it kind of seemed like this impossible uphill battle. Um, and we just kept going. We just kept, you know, we, I remember the late uh, Will Mordock was part of our group and he'd be like, well, how are we going to do this? And I'd be like, I don't know, but we'll get, you know, we'll worry about it when we get there. Did you ever expect it? Did you ever expect to get it? Or was it more like a project you were just working on and say, if we get it, we get it. But then the yes came and you're like, oh, now we need to do something. Well, yeah, now we, um, we passed around a hat and started a bank account of $50 um, cause that's, I think the minimum that you need to open a business bank account. And then we, um, and then we made a video and, and started an Indiegogo campaign and the community helped raise over $10,000 enough for us wow. to buy our antenna and our broadcasting quit equipment. And then from there, um, yeah, we spent all that money on, uh, consultants and engineers to get the radio station up and running and our first office was at Joseph Floyd Manor on the top floor. And so we were there for several years and our antenna still broadcasts from there. And um, yeah, we, we were just taking it one, one day at a time until here we are. Uh, we're celebrating our five-year broadcast anniversary this August. Wow. Fantastic. Jeez. Uh, I have to say you're the first person I've met that started a radio station. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's super cool. I don't even know what goes into So how much are you involved in that day to day? So I am one of the founders and I'm the president of the board. So very involved, especially since we have a very small um, budget and uh, we have two incredible part-time staff that help run the day to day. And I manage them and help oversee the board and the operations of the radio station. But it, it involves, is, is it a 24-hour day radio station? It is. We've been on the air 24-7, yep, since August 1st, uh, 2015. Jeez. So you have to program 24 hours a day, seven days a week for five years. You've programmed that out. And that involves music. It involves, I mean, so are the, do the part-time people do that? Or do you get involved in that as well? 
I did it in the beginning for sure. <laughs> Learning all the systems. I feel like anybody, um, it's always a good thing to do everything that you eventually want someone to help you with so that you learn it and know it from the inside out. So I did it for a long time. Yeah. In the beginning, yeah. I don't anymore. Thankfully we have wonderful staff that do that. Um, but we also have different committees, programming committees that review submissions. Um, and, and yeah, we have a lot. Well, we used to, I guess everything's a little bit different now with coronavirus, but this year we were on track to have 400 people in the studio where we interview um, community members and musicians where they play live on the air, or we have um, lots of people just come share their voice, share their story on the air. And we don't have any memberships. We, um, you know, I, I believe that I didn't want it to hinder anyone from being able to use the radio station. It truly is a public utility. All radio stations are in exchange for their broadcast license are supposed to serve the public good. So mm -hmm. we take that very seriously. And so anyone is welcome to come and be part of the radio station and have their voice heard. And our range is um, over half a million, which was based on the 2010 census. So in Charleston is probably a lot higher than mm -hmm. that now. Um, in addition to, we stream online and we have a free mobile app. So anywhere, anywhere in the world, anyone can tune in and listen. And we can see people from different countries all over um, tuning in. So how do you, what's your business model of how you pay for all those things? Is it through sponsorships or is it through continuing to get grants or kind of yeah, all the above? So grants and um underwriting for sure we have a lot of incredible local businesses that are underwriters that support us um, and also donations from the community we are truly listener supported there's a lot of people that see the value in having um, a, a media that they can consume that is not controlled by anything other than the people that are running it mm. yeah wow. but anyone can be part of it anyone can Volunteer to be on the programming committee can suggest a television, uh, suggest a show that they want to hear. Um, it's truly open to the community to be part of. Hmm. I mean, but obviously running, uh, I mean, having a, a station still costs money. I mean, I, I mean, obviously to program and everything, but like, do you have to pay into the fees? I, and I know nothing about having a radio station or a radio program or any, mm -hmm. anything, but I used to have a business that we had to, if we played any music, we had to pay into um, the ASCAP and, and what was the other one? There's another BMI. BMI, you know, you had to play, pay into these. Um, and so, well, you know, we would just try to play music that we didn't have to pay for. Right. Um, you know, so how did, I mean, because you still have to pay into those fees unless you figure out a way around it. No, absolutely. We pay all of our BMI ASCAP fees. Um, and like exactly what you said, people play music that they don't have to pay those fees for. And that's why we hear the same music on the radio over and over again. Do you ever wonder why you're like, why am I hearing this song again? There's been so much new music since 1995. Like, why am I hearing this same <laughs> song? It's infuriating. And it's because yeah, people pay less for their, you know, licensing fees, but we play, um, we pay a flat fee because we're a nonprofit. And so we pay, it covers everything and we can play the newest music, the oldest music. We play a ton of local music. Um, and we have um, like 
a service that basically is listening to everything we play and then records it so that all of our artists get their proper royalties. Wow. So cool. So fascinating. I can only imagine how you watch like local news and media now. I mean, it's, or maybe you don't, I mean, because there's such a filter and a knowledge that you have that I can imagine it would be um, challenging at best to watch or listen to regular kind of mainstream media. Yeah, very well said. Challenging at best. And it's because um, what Dr. Stoyer taught me was how to be media literate. It's mm-hmm. how to listen to something and wonder who is paying for this? Like who is behind this? Is this person, let's say um, a newscaster, is this really their opinion or are they reading something that somebody wrote for them that's being broadcast all over the country in order to win something? Yeah. You know, like that is truly what I hear. And I'm very, very particular about the media that I consume. Mm. Um, And that's for a multitude of reasons. But um, one of them is that I do believe like everything that comes in has to come out in some way. And so I'm really interested. We we air uh, Democracy Now!, which is an independent, independently funded um, news show that we play on the radio station by Amy Goodman. Um, and there's others, uh, Making Contact and Project Censored. There's different ones that we have, have researched and looked into. Um, but I love The Late Show with Stephen Colbert and different, I guess I love, you know, the, the comedic versions of the news sometimes just because um, it helps to relieve some pressure when I do um, see that I'm, tr- I'm, what you know if i'm watching something that's incredibly mainstream and one one direction or the other i realize that i'm being manipulated in some way um and so what i really want is just the information and so what we are held to as a nonprofit radio station being nonpartisan and objective and truth seeking is that we present the information and then people can decide what they want to do with that information which is how the news used to be a lot mm-hmm. more mm. And so now what happens, I see with my parents, you know, they'll see something on the news and they'll be like, that must be true because they said it on the news. And that may have been true 30 years ago, but then I just pull out my phone and do a little bit of research. And it's like, there is not the same accountability in the news that there used to be. And I think that the divide in our country is so, it's so great now because of our news, um, media outlets because they are putting out a lot more divisive content, which in turn directly influences all the people who consume it. Yeah. It's funny. um, Jules put a post up not too long ago and wrote this really long, she tagged an article and did a really long post and it was a very thought provoking post, but also it was a very thought provoking article and then a friend of ours says, you know, and, and it just, it, it started some really good conversation. It wasn't adversarial at all, the conversation, but a friend of ours reached out to me privately and said, tell Jules that she needs to look behind who wrote the article. And then we started doing mm-hmm. research on the people who, about the organization. And we are like, they are completely against our values. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. they were just putting it out there. So shame on me for just sharing something, thinking as as if it were truth. Yeah. I mean, so I'm I'm only like multiplying that right by right. sharing it, because if I share it, then people trust me, 
Mm -hmm. Because I'm sharing this news now as what I'm reading is truth, quote unquote. But, um, but I mean, I think that's it. It's like, no, understand your source mm-hmm. and do research before you just go putting yeah. things out there as truth. And, 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 and we've had other people do that and, and we we're like, oh yeah, it really reads well, or it's a really great video. And then you go and do research on that person that posted that video and you're like, wow, yeah, yeah. you, I don't support this person, but yeah. they made it, they spun it in a way where it just made lots of sense to get people to back their agenda. And so I'm very careful about that after what happened. We're like, yeah, that's not who we would want to support or nor do we want people to mm-hmm. bigly support this organization. Yeah. And so um, yeah. it is scary. It is very scary that that um, I, we were just having this conversation with Jules's parents last week is I get newsfeed on my phone and CNN, Fox, NBC or whatever. And every one of them have a different, the, almost the same headline until you open up the article. They grab you with the headline and then you open the, and they, all of their stories are completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I would highly recommend turning those notifications off. <laughs> well, I don't look at it very often, but I mean, but you just yeah. see that the, all of them are different. Yeah, and yeah, so- or they're, they're made to grab your attention. I guess yeah. when I'm sitting down, it's like, I want to see what's happening um, in my community or in the world. Yeah. Um, then I seek out those sources that I have research embedded and that I trust. And yeah, social media has become such an interesting landscape for all that to happen. And I think that we are starting to reach a tipping point where people are becoming a little bit more media literate, a little bit more aware Mm -hmm. of who's writing this, why are they writing it? What is the objective of it? So that's what Dr. Stoyer did in a class that she created that I took. I talked my way into taking it because I didn't have the prerequisites. Um, And uh, so, you know, she would give us an article. We'd be like, great, this is just a regular article. I believe everything that's in it. And then we'd have to pick it apart and see who wrote it and where they came from and what, um, yeah, just what were they trying to do in this article? So now... Yeah, it is very difficult for me to um, <laughs> consume <laughs> media, um, especially since, you know, we take such care and such um, such responsibility with the content that we put on OM Radio, mm-hmm. because we do realize how important it is and how much it affects people um, almost on an unconscious level. You know, it's so interesting because I'm thinking back to your story of how you went to school for um, organic, um, for um, what's what's the word? Agriculture. Agriculture in California. Yeah. And so it's like you have this, almost have this mission in life to bring people back to the organic nature of things, mm-hmm. right? So it's like with food, that's one thing, but with a hostel, it's like the organic relationships that are built. And then with the radio station, it's like, no, 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 let's go to the organic truth. Like, and then you can make a decision on what you want to do with that. But um, it's, it's almost like mass media is all the junk food that we can consume. And you're going, no, 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 like, don't consume that. It's not good for you. Um, it will make you sick. So come back to the nature and, and be media literate, which I love, um, and consume things that, that make sense, like, and that you can form a, an unbiased, unmanipulated opinion about. Um, so I, I love that. Mm-hmm. Like, I just made that connection of the organic nature of, of how you, and 
maybe I'm making an assumption about you. I guess you can speak to that, whether or not that feels right. Yeah, it does. It's beautiful. I think it's really, um, I got chills when you said it. So no, I did too. That was like yeah. mind, body, and spirit through <laughs> everything you do. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. And I have always been um, very interested in spirituality, even though I grew up in uh, a Christian religion. Um, once I graduated college and, and was working here and doing through all that, I did my yoga teacher training with um, Tracy at Holy Cow and uh, then I went to India with her. And when I went to India, um, I really learned about meditation there, sitting in different caves. And mm. we spent um, almost a month there to really understand the working of a mind and that we were all designed in the same way and that our minds work in the same way. And so that's why it truly, like what comes in does come out in some way. It's like the law of nature. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. so yeah. And that your mind is really influenced a lot by um, what you eat because your food literally becomes your cells. And then also um, your environment, you're incredibly influenced by your environment, um, what you see around you, but also what you consume. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff, man. Where, where can, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Where can people find um, OM radio? Home radio um, at 96.3 FM on their radio dial at homeradio963.org uh, online. And then on the free mobile app for either Apple or Android, um, just put in OHM radio, OM like the unit of resistance in physics. Ah, so people could listen all over the country. I mean, it's not just a local Charleston thing. People can literally listen anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And we've had uh, mostly local DJs, but we've also had DJs from different states apply and produce the radio shows, and we air them on our station. Yeah. Okay. So we'll um, we'll post all those links in the show notes so that people can go and find you and support what you're doing. I love it. So, yeah. So um, so we've gone through the hostel, and we've gone through um, property manager, and we've gone through real estate, and now we've gone through the radio station. What are you doing now? <laughs> What's your next hustle? I don't think you, I don't think you plan to, to, you know, quit hustling anytime soon. Well, that's so interesting because um, uh, becoming a mother really shifted some things for me. And that was three and a half years ago. And then this pandemic has really allowed me to slow down and to see what's going on. Like part of the busyness that um, I engage with is to avoid stillness. And so uh, I don't know, I might be slowing down. <laughs> Funny that you say that to avoid stillness, but you sat in India in caves and became one with who you are. Yes, you know? it's, a, it's, a, it's a lifetime <laughs> though. It's a lifetime of doing that, you know, to really understand like the nature of of my mind, the nature of all of our minds is like, when I'm still, I love the quote, it's on my email, it's been there for a decade. It says, I close my eyes to see. Mm. Um, and so maybe my next adventure is closing my eyes to see more. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. I don't know, this past year also has been transformative. I stopped um, drinking all alcohol at last May um, part of this, like I went to this Vipassana meditation retreat and something about it clicked and, uh, it wasn't just, it wasn't like a, 
I'm not going to do this ever again kind of thing. It was just like, I'm being more aware of what I'm consuming and the effects that it has on me and the people around me. And so I haven't done that for over a year. And that's been so interesting getting more clear headed and more still. And then this coronavirus too, like bringing everything to a standstill, having so much more time to like reflect and really, really connect. Cause I think um, that people get really attached to what they've done and what they're known for. And mm-hmm. so I guess I'm coming to a place where maybe it's okay if I, mm-hmm. if I do nothing next, I don't mm-hmm. know, you know, like the busyness of our culture and, and our society, I think there's also an underlying kind of sickness in it. Mm-hmm. And so spending more time being present, spending more time with my family, spending more time just realizing like that I'm in this body and that it's temporary and, uh, and what I want to do with all that information. Well, that's good. I feel like it's, I just uh, want to be silent for a minute. <laughs> so again, um, yeah, that's just really good. And I, mm-hmm. I have the mental picture of our earth functions via seasons, right? Trees, the leaves fall and then they come back and flowers, you know, lose their buds and they grow back again. And um, we go through winter, spring, summer, and fall, and it's kind of a seasonal thing. And so it's just, I love what you said that right now might just be a season of stillness and that's okay. It doesn't mean that spring won't come and you won't start hustling again. And you get this vision that you need to bring to the world. Um, But right now, I think if, if, if you're being called to stillness, I would, I would go so far as saying you would be disobedient to not do that. Right. And and you know, in your soul, we know in our souls when we've been called to something that's greater than us. So um, I, I totally affirm that stillness in you and investing in the people that you're meant to love most on this earth. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. I was um, about to launch my speaking career Um, That was my next big thing. And I took this incredible course with Jess Ekstrom, who is a fabulous female speaker. That's her life mission is to promote more female speakers. And then I got accepted to fly out to Jack Canfield's house and have an interview with him. He wrote the success principles and one of my um, America's number one success coach. And uh, so I had a ticket booked to, you know, go to his house and get interviewed and kick off the whole thing. And then the coronavirus came. And so it, it was, obviously it's all canceled. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. so yeah, I don't know. So it's interesting. I'm really at a point of just um, seeing, seeing what is and accepting what is and, you know, seeing what our earth needs too, mm. yeah. and the way that um, it's responding to us and if we're going to listen or not. Yep. I love that you just said all that about the stillness because you do have a, you do have a three-year-old, right? Three? Yeah. Three and a half. Yeah. Um, and not much still. There's not, there's, well, um, <laughs> there, there is not in a three and a half year old, but, um, and, and maybe this was your time. If this was going to be your, if that, that was your runway to the speaking career, you might've missed a lot of the, the growing up, the formative years that you're going to have the opportunity to be a part of. So, hmm. you know, maybe that was the universe saying, no, this three and a half year old needs you now. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's always going to be there. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Oh man, we need yeah. to wrap this up. We could sit with you for hours for sure, Vicki. Um, but let's wrap this up. So what we do at the end of every podcast is we get you to give us, we have a list of one to seven questions, one to 70. So you give us a number and we'll ask you the question that's associated with that number. Sounds good. So yes. we'll start with Stace. All right. Number 17. Who's the biggest influence in your life? I would say it's the Buddha. I have spent the past uh, several years really digging into the teachings of the Buddha and it has greatly influenced my life in a positive way. Yeah. From what I think to what I eat to how I want to live in this world. And yeah, it's been very powerful and very positive. Mm -hmm. That's great. What's the number for me? Oh, number 26. 26. What's something in your life that you're really, really proud of either an accomplishment or a relationship that maybe you've mended or whatever, what's something in your life that when I ask that question, you think of? Yeah. Uh, I would say it's the relationship I have with my husband. We Mm. got married in maybe 2013. I can't remember. (laughs) Yeah. In 2013. And we've been together now almost 10 years Um, And we did years and years of counseling to learn nonviolent communication. And so each week we have a weekly check-in and um, we follow a certain format and we ask each other every week, did I honor my agreements this week to you? Did I honor my agreements this week or did I let you down? So we have different agreements that we have to uphold every week and stay accountable for. And then we also do active listening, just like they do in nonviolent communication where I can say something and he'll do active listening and say it back to me. And whether we agree or not at the end, we always say, I understand how you feel. Mm-hmm. And so uh, neither of us were raised in families um, that had that. Both of, our, both of our parents were divorced. And so we came to the relationship without that kind of knowledge of how to have a working, um, a working relationship in that way. In a nonviolent um, communication sort of way where you really learn how to hear and learn how to respond back to somebody. So we've been working on it for 10 years and um, it's just, it's been a wonderful experience as a result, being heard and um, providing the space to hear someone else. Mm. Oh, I love it. That almost gives me, that almost made me tear up. I know. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, when we hear the word violent, we think physically violent, right? But that's not always the case. A lot of times violence is yelling or it's the the words that you choose to use. I mean, it's the tone, it's the tone, it's the emotion. It's all of those things. It's not like violent, like physical all the time. So I love it that you pay attention to that, that that's a value of, both of you that you work together to really minimize that. Cause I think we can do a lot of harm to each other, even just with the tone of our words mm-hmm. or the words that we choose. Um, so that's, that's super admirable. And I can see why that would be what your answer is. Mm-hmm. Thank so. you. And then bringing a child into it, he oh, is getting yeah. the um, opportunity <laughs> to hear it from the beginning. Oh, so, amazing. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So I think you're, um, after spending 50 or so minutes with you, I think that you're a super wise woman. Um, that's just my like intuition and gut. So if you, this will be the final question, but if you had a billboard and you could put a message on it, 
what would be the message that you would put on it to um, the human race who would drive by and see it? That was going to be my question. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so some message that you're supposed to give to us. I think it would be what I said before. I close my eyes in order to see. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? It, it means um, it's like in Buddhism where when you close your eyes and you're sitting in meditation, it, the idea is that like inside of us is what they call panya, like wisdom. It, the design is that like absolutely anybody in the world can become enlightened because we all have the same potential. And so when your eyes are closed and you're still and you use your awareness and you focus, it's like, it's like keys and locks. So the keys go into those spaces and unlock the wisdom. Cause when you sit, like I've done a 10 day Vipassana meditation where you sit for 10 hours a day. And when you sit for that long, it's like, nothing's coming in, nothing's going out. It's, mm. and still there's like all this information coming from inside of you. Mm. And so that's what it means. Like I close my eyes in order to see, like I see my true self when I close my eyes, I see others when I close my eyes and I reflect and I meditate and I, and it's revealed to me, not from anywhere outside, but from the inside. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's beautiful. That is good stuff. I love it. Thank you for that, Vicki. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thank you for you. having me. You got it. Thank you for your time. And, um, and to Lisa again, thank you for making the introduction and knowing that Vicki would be somebody that we would absolutely love to connect with. You were right. Um, listeners, thank you for hitting play on this. Uh, we always tell you this, if you've listened to more than one of our podcasts, um, that we don't ever take for granted that you hit play. We see this as a, a really big responsibility, actually, to bring stories to you that will inspire you and motivate you but also call you out into all that we think that you can be. So this is a platform that we don't, we don't take lightly. So thank you for hitting play on this. Um, Share it with any of your friends who you think might be um, benefited by this. And the one thing I would say to you in honor of of Vicki is take that quote to heart. I close my eyes in order to see when you push stop on this, just close your eyes, even if it's for 10 seconds, that you can see the beauty that sits right there inside of you. Thanks again. Hope you have an awesome week. 